0: and this is Tex McCrary.
1: This is Jinx. It's Cascade Time, and we're speaking to you as we do every day, five days a week from 1 to 2 in Peacock Alley of the Waldorf Astoria.
0: And I'm afraid I'm about to libel our guest today. He's been described as, quote, a sour-faced man with saddlebag eyes and a voice that sounds like he's filing his teeth.
2: That's not true, uh,
0: Tex. I never
2: file my teeth. I keep them in my mouth at all times, morning, (laughs) noon, and night. (laughs) Yes, the if voice. If I did file them, i might file them under T. <laughs> the teeth, <laughs> teeth for two. Liberace seems, seems so.
1: That's the voice, and that means...
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Fred Allen is our guest today. No doubt about it. Nobody could disguise their voice and, and imitate you, could they? Uh,
2: uh, I doubt it very much. Rudy tried it, and I drove him back to the woods.
3: Rudy Rudy Halley? came
2: out of Maine. No, not Rudy Halley. The, the former Rudy. The original Rudy. <laughs> Rudy Halley is an, uh, an imposter. Rudy Valley. You don't remember Rudy Valley? Oh,
1: yes, but I thought you were of Maine.
2: Yes. Maine has two things. It's the only state in the Union that has a bath, and the only <laughs> state that uh, sighed Rudy Valley.
1: Well, this voice belonging to the one and only Fred Allen is the voice that gave us the best in radio entertainment for 17 years and was displaced with the advent of television. Now the high voice?
0: blood pressure. It wasn't TV only. There are other <laughs> you're, complications. Your high blood pressure and radio's low blood pressure. That's right. Well, right now, you can see the voice, hear the voice, and see the face together every Sunday night on another network whose initials are CBS on a program called What's My Line? And if... By the way, were you ever a mystery guest on What's My uh, Line? Yes. I was on... Uh,
2: mist- uh, I've been on it twice as a mystery
4: Twice as a mystery I, clip. once
2: in uh, on radio and I wasn't guest in radio, but uh, in uh, tel- on television I was. How, how did you disguise your voice? What voice uh, did you a take? I talked in a voice or the voice of the dummy's voice, and uh, it didn't work out very well because uh, it finally got up in my nose and Steve Allen caught me. He was on the
0: program at that time. <laughs> well, I think that if anybody asks you what your line now, I would like to suggest that it's author. Author of a new book called Treadmill to Oblivion. And I don't know why the doctors would prescribe it, but certainly friends of all patients should. It's the best book for anybody in a hospital unless they have suffered an operation that leaves them in stitches. This is bad for stitches. it will keep
2: you in stitches, I mean, this this book, (laughs) I
0: hope. You don't have to be in
2: the hospital to read it, you know. You can read it outside. (laughs) And it's also not the book of the month, either. You don't have to read it this month. It'll Quick Frozen that you can keep till next month. You can read it next month, too.
1: Could you just explain, uh, Mr. Fred Allen, what Treadmill to Oblivion means? Why you called it that?
2: Well, I called it that because any successful person, or especially a comedian who gets involved in the mechanized version of uh, the entertainment world, has to compete with the machine. And, of course, he has to... I'll uh, lose the battle because the machine is going to survive and the comedian... I I treat comedians because I know more about them and was formerly and am currently an alleged comedian. But
1: treadmill machine, to... Well, alternate. you're on a treadmill
2: if you're on... Uh, we we did uh, 700 and some odd hours uh, during the 18 years we were on radio and uh, ultimately the machine is still here, the microphone is still here and I got uh, I became ill. Not from reading the jokes, but I mean from pressure and work and uh, sustained aggravation and things like that. I wonder if you, you just read too, the last
1: couple of lines in your book.
2: Well, you that, it? that it, it tells you. When a radio comedian's, uh, whether or not he knows it, the successful comedian is on a treadmill to oblivion. When a radio comedian's program is finally finished, it slinks down memory lane into the limbo of yesterday's Yesterday's happy hours. All that the comedian has to show for his years of work and aggravation is the echo of forgotten laughter and some receipts from the Treasury Department.
1: (laughs) But that's sad.
2: It is sad, but it's true. Everything that's true is sad, in a way.
1: Echoes of forgotten Forgotten laughter. laughter. That's
2: true. Look, places. Ambassador
1: Henry Cabot Lodge walking by and waving.
2: Grinning. Uh, waving. Yeah. And grinning. Waving. We're on a short wave then. <laughs> Even the <laughs> Senator went by with a short wave, I know.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, Fred Allen will be back in a moment.
2: Oliver, we have Fred a couple Allen, of that. notes
1: right here, Tex.
2: There's a leak in the UN or something. <laughs> <laughs> they,
1: you know what they do? They sneak right through here and they go into that uh, door which is the entrance to the tower's elevator. It's oh, sort of I the see.
2: That's a bad day, I thought wind. maybe they moved the U.N. over here. No, all the ambassadors come home to lunch. Oh, do they? Yeah, right here. That's just sort of a uh, diplomatic uh, capistrano, then.
0: <laughs> okay, we're going to take a break, get some news and handle a note, and then back with Fred Allen. Jinx, let's tell certain people listening to us about a very interesting guessing game and the prize that goes with it, and this is not stop the music.
1: By certain people, you mean expectant mothers, right?
0: And fathers, too.
1: See if you can guess the exact date that the baby will be born.
0: Or whether it will be a boy or a girl. And
1: if you guess correctly, our sponsor, Cascade Diaper Service, will award a total of three months free diaper service if either or both parents, at least 14 days prior to the actual date of birth, Guess correctly the date of birth and two weeks free diet for service, if either guesses correctly whether it's a boy or girl. Of course, it's not cricket for the expectant mother to say it's a girl and the father to say it's a boy. Then everyone would win, and that's not a contest anymore. Let's repeat that to avoid misunderstanding. As to a boy or girl, only one parent can venture a guess. But as to the date of birth, both parents may participate. So all of you expectant parents, why don't you drop us a postcard? at NBC, or call or write Cascade Diaper Service, giving your name, address, and the birth date that you've selected, or if it's a boy or girl. This places you under no obligation whatsoever. But if your guess is correct, you can win either one or both of the two valuable Cascade Diaper-free services. Plus, we will announce your baby's name and date of birth on this program as soon as possible after you notify Cascade Diaper Service. Cascade serves all of New York, Brooklyn, Long Island, and New Jersey. Fred Allen, text us five minutes of news now from the WRCA mm-hmm. newsroom, and then uh, we'll be on until two o'clock with you. You know, my
2: book looks well in a diaper. I've never seen it, but I imagine it would if you have no children. <laughs> and wrap it in a diaper and take it home. It might be pleasant
0: around the house.
1: What's this? Joan Bancroft?
0: Well, I, Ban- Ban- I can't read Bancroft. it. Joan Bancroft. Just called up to say Fred Allen also has echoes in the hearts of millions of his listeners, both on radio and television. That's very nice.
1: Thank you, Joan. Now the news text.
0: A bulletin just in from Hong Kong. The Chinese Communist Public Security Ministry said today that 124 American spies, in quotes, have been captured and 106 killed since 1951. This bulletin, issued by Pei Ping, followed by 24 Hours, the announcement that 13 Americans had received jail terms of four years to life imprisonment on spy charges. Former Commerce Department employee William Remington died today in prison after an attack by other prisoners who beat him with a brick. This happened in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. A prison denouncement says an operation was performed yesterday. Prison authorities also say they have a good idea who Remington's assailant was, but they have not given out any details yet. Remington was sentenced in February 1953. He was convicted of lying when he denied transmitting government material to a confessed red agent and when he denied knowing a Communist Party unit existed at Dartmouth College when he was a student there. Prison spokesmen are discounting rumors that the attack on Remington was the start of a demonstration against the scheduled release of Al Hiss on Saturday. Hiss, a former State Department employee, also has been serving time in Lewisburg on a perjury conviction. In Owasso, Michigan, a heart attack has taken the life of Mrs. Annie Dewey, mother of Governor Thomas E. Dewey of New York. Mrs. Dewey, a widow, died in her sleep last night at her home. She was 77 years old. Governor Dewey is on his way to Owasa from Miami Beach, Florida, where he went yesterday for a two-week vacation. The governor's wife, Mrs. Dewey, who had expected to join her husband in Florida this weekend, will leave for Michigan this afternoon. Representative Franklin D. Roosevelt, Jr. said today that he will return to what he describes as the full-time practice of law. The defeated Democratic liberal candidate for attorney general made his statement after what he said was an offer from Governor-elect Averill Harriman to have him on what was called Harriman's team. At a news conference in the Governor-elect's Park Avenue headquarters, Harriman said no specific post had been offered to young Roosevelt. Overseas, former President Herbert Hoover said in West Germany today that the sole purpose of Western alliances and armament is to convince the Communists that it would be futile to start a war. Hoover said the agreements to rearm West Germany must be ratified, or the security of Europe will depend on what he called the malevolent will of the communists. A former clerk for the British Home Guard, John Clarence, has pleaded innocent in London to charges of obtaining military information calculated to be useful to an enemy. He's accused, for one thing, of obtaining information about Britain's anti-aircraft defenses. French Premier Mendes France returned to Paris today from his official visit to Canada and the United States. And Britain's Queen Mother Elizabeth arrived home in London after her visit to the same two countries. Queen Elizabeth was among those on hand to greet her mother. Yakub Malik of Russia arrived in New York by plane today to take over temporarily as chief Soviet UN delegate following the death Monday of Andrei Vyshinsky. Malik flew in from London where he is Russian ambassador and was speeded through customs. The body of Vyshinsky, who died of a heart attack, has reached Paris on its way to Moscow. The Soviet U.N. delegate will receive a state funeral in Moscow's Red Square. The New York City Planning Commission has rejected a proposal by Park Commissioner Robert Moses to spend more than $7.5 million on six new recreation centers. The The Commission acted unanimously to follow a recommendation of Budget Director Abraham Beam, disapproving the proposal. There will probably be some fireworks before the sun goes down tonight. Weather forecast on another front, cloudy with rain this afternoon and tonight ending early tomorrow. Not much change in temperature with the highest temperature this afternoon and again tomorrow afternoon 45 to 50 degrees, lowest tonight in the forties. But as anybody knows, especially if you've booked the traffic. It's a miserable day in our town.
1: I'd like to ask you, Fred Allen, author of Treadmill to Oblivion, if anything... Oops.
0: (laughs) 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 Can you describe what happened? (laughs) Well, I
2: I thought it was a burlesque show starting here. It looked like a striptease. You can't depend on uh, these... Well, I don't know what it was. It was...
1: Usually I can't depend on zippers, but this Maybe is just a snap. I thought You better get a
2: stronger hip. zipper or go on a diet. That's
1: and a I started to talk snap. to you, you see. I put my hands on my uh, hips and I was sort of pushing my... Um, flexing. Flexing. <laughs> pushing my shoulders back. And with that, the, the top of my dress just popped.
2: Well... Snapped open. Fortunately, this is still radio. Save the day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately, I'm very well equipped below.
2: Yes, I, uh, I refer you to text for this. <laughs>
1: In the way of clothes. The choice,
2: choice, choice of adjectives uh, would be better here.
1: I mean, protect clothes, clothes, clothes. Right. Um, well, anyway, Fred Allen, did anything...
2: I knew that you had a turtleneck uh, evening gown on, unfortunately. Nothing.
1: Did anything funny happen to you on the way to the world or When today? I got
2: here, almost... <laughs> no, there was nothing that happened today. It was raining. It's always... Uh, fair weather when good fellows get together, and I was coming over to meet you, and it was pouring rain.
1: Yes, but weren't you someplace before? I mean, I know you oh, were. Oh, today I was at before. the dentist.
2: I just came from the dentist. Make, I want to make a miserable day. It's awful outside, and I want to be miserable inside. So I went to the dentist. I didn't have any work to be done. I just go up there and sit around and and uh, gripe a while. It's mm-hmm. very reasonable with no instruments.
1: You don't mean it. He wasn't really uh, doing anything to your teeth?
2: Well, he I just go up there and keep him busy because he's not too active. And uh, what's the truth among friends, i let him go and drill if he likes to or whatever he likes to do.
1: Do you like dentists especially? Uh,
2: well, I don't dislike them. I mean, they're necessary evils, actually.
1: Is this dentist a good friend of yours? Yes,
2: his name is Dr. Picard, incidentally. Dr. Pickard our mm-hmm. uh, name for dentist. He happens to be a very good dentist as far as I know.
3: Pickard.
2: Pickard, it's true. P I C K H A R D T. Dr. Picard. Yeah.
1: Would you would you ever want a dentist for a sponsor on uh, radio or
3: television? Uh
2: I would think so because uh, then if you have a comedy uh, program, I think it would be very helpful for a dentist because if you got any laughs at all, he could look at the audience and know that whether they had teeth or did not have teeth and then he wouldn't have to bother with uh, people or you know, or coming to the studio. I think it'd be very good for for a as a matter of fact, out in California, there was two or three painless dentists who had uh, uh, radio programs on the, uh, on the air out there.
1: You know, NBC, of course, has a new television program about doctors called Medic. Uh,
2: uh, new, new Bicuspids Count. I mean, that's NBC, isn't it? Yes. That's well, the dental slogan they have.
1: New Bicuspids Count?
2: Well, that's the best I could do. Or new Cuspid's cavity or something, if there's a verb for, for cavity.
1: You mean you think they could do a, a program about dentists, as they're now doing one oh,
2: uh, I would, called sure. Medic? Oh, uh, I sure. I think that uh, they've brought uh, enough pain into the world. Well, Medic is the, the <coughs> answer to the pain that radio has brought into the world, I think. They're trying to to make amends for the many years of the uh, uh, soap operas and the grief and tears, you know, that you had in the morning.
1: You know, I'd like to ask you a question, Fred Allen. That's what I've been doing anyway, and mm-hmm. I will continue to do, but this one just occurred to me. Not we one long
2: question. It'll take the whole rest of the program. <laughs> oh,
1: no, I don't do that. A little a so. We compete at this time, one to two, mm-hmm. with soap operas on oh, other
2: that's true. networks. going will be pretty lathery today with this rain. <laughs> <laughs> All their t- tears, they lather themselves with their tears.
1: At 8.30 in the morning, we didn't have the problem of, of getting an audience. At 8.30 in the morning, that's we had right. the people driving to work, the men that's who right. went to business, the women who were on their way to shops or mm-hmm. hairdressing salons or whatever they did. Now, we have to compete with those who are at home and might be home for some hours and are used to listening every day to Just a story, a continued story that has tears and laughs. And, you know, why yeah, can't? what can you do for us today to get that audience?
2: Well, uh, it's if they're listening to the other or looking at the other shows at the moment, there's nothing we can do except sneak up behind them go from door to door with the script. I'll be glad to join you if you have the time. I don't know what you can do about that. I would think that in that great uh, segment of tears and grief and aggravation and trouble that they have on those, most of those shows, that this would be a happy relief in that period. I would think that your program, your hour, with the news and a few... Pleasant guests and some laughter would be a, a pleasant uh, intermission
1: of course it's change of pace every day and maybe audiences prefer a, a, at this time of the day to, to know what they're going to look forward to you know uh, they I can remember pass- what they heard yesterday they know, they know they're going to pick up where they left off
2: uh, i don't know personally i uh, those don't entertain me at all i would rather much listen rather listen to some show of this nature, if I was happened to be home at this time, if I was home, I'd probably be listening to you.
1: With with Fred Allen, you'd uh, like to hear that program, would you?
2: Well, no, I wouldn't run home now in this rain to hear myself, but if I happened to be home and I was on, I certainly would listen to myself.
1: Where is Mrs. Fred Allen?
2: She's at the beauty parlor. She had a um, a permanent wave last week and it didn't come off or something. It, wasn't, it was a temporary <laughs> one when it got home or something happened to it or something, so it's going to be done all over again today.
1: She's not listening now? Uh,
2: Unless they have some facilities in the beauty parlor. And if they can't get a permanent to last more than one week, I doubt if they've heard about radio yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's the name of the beauty parlor? Do you know Uh, where you are? I think it's
2: on uh, 56th Street, Robert's, uh, R-O-B-E-R-T. I'm going to go look
0: up the number and we're going to call her.
2: Oh, that that. would be
1: wonderful.
2: Uh, I guess she's... uh, I don't know whether she's... We'll probably ruin this wave, too,
1: (laughs) You mean it didn't take last week's permanent? I don't think all
2: of it took. I just think it was permanent on the side, one side or something. I don't know. I don't understand those things.
1: We'll be back in a moment, Fred Allen, but time for a commercial. I'm about to make one of the most startling free offers that uh, certainly we've ever made on the air. Uh, We want to tell you about our sponsor, Cascade Laundry. We're going to make a free trial offer of laundry service, absolutely free laundry service, and what we hope to prove are the statements that we've been making on this program, that Cascade is the biggest, the best, and among the safest, most dependable of all laundries, that the Cascade plant is the cleanest, their machinery the most modern, their workers the best trained, and it therefore follows that Cascade does better work, which costs no more. We use Cascade, we know, but we'd like you to know too. So here comes the offer. Cascade will give any new customer a free trial of laundry service. Yes, I repeat, absolutely free. I'd like to see how many of you will call Cascade in the next half hour, or drop a postcard addressed to us, Texan Jinx, WRCA, or to Cascade and say, I just heard your radio offer, send me a gift certificate for a free trial offer of laundry service. That's all there is to it, but do it today, please. Fred Allen, author of Treadmill to Oblivion, we want to Check some of the stories that you've written about in your book, which is mm-hmm. really so so full of laughs. Why do you describe?
2: Well, it's, it's just a story of one radio program and its uh, conception and its birth and its life and its death, and that's confined to that. With some of the better scripts and some of the alley things in there, it's very amusing. Actually, I have I have this good opinion from from uh, Mr. Thurber and Mr. Steinbeck and Herman Wolk and Alan Smith and. The reviews have been very uh, flattering on the uh, book.
1: Now, in in your dedication, you dedicate it to Portland. Who stayed in a closet until I finished writing this book.
2: Well, I had to have some privacy, and she cooperated, and she was very helpful.
1: And then you added on the next page, Ed O'Connor, who has the memory of an elephant, helped me with this tome. Ted Weeks, who has the energy of a beaver, also helped. It proves that with an elephant's memory, a beaver's energy, and two friends, a radio actor can write a book.
2: That's right. Well, Ed uh, O'Connor, I think it was his original idea to have the book because he used to listen to our program when he went to college, and he's a writer up in Boston. He's currently working on the Boston Post and working on uh, writing a novel. And uh, he liked our programs during his college years, so he thought it was a shame to have them all disappear or have no record of them. So he... Uh, discussed it with Mr. Weeks who is the editor of the Atlantic Monthly Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and uh, so that's how the whole thing started and then Ed went ahead and went through the the, uh, many years of scripts that we had and he selected ones that he thought were the Outstanding ones that he would like to hear again or read again, and those are the ones we have.
1: We're going to try a bit of one of those later when, when right. I warm up a little, huh? All
2: right.
1: Why do you describe an advertising agency as being 85% confusion and 15% commission?
2: Well, because in the, uh, in the early days of radio, these men who are good, competent businessmen, I certainly were good advertising men, were thrown into yeah. another business that they didn't understand. Oh, right. And and, uh, they didn't uh, know anything about show business or actors, and consequently they uh, treated all of us the way they treated their coffee or their tomatoes or the things that they were trying to sell or advertise in the other media until radio got started. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And consequently they were forcing Mm -hmm. their opinions on the actors and the things that the audience got were the... uh, the likes and dislikes of their friends and relatives and uh, close close associates, you know.
1: Well, don't. I don't... mean, they they
2: compared, they they foisted their tastes on the general public. I mean, if a, if a man liked uh, if a sponsor liked the violin player, he had a violin player on his own. The people may not like violin players. Mm-hmm. as proven by Jack Benny's career. He was forced into comedy mm-hmm. off the musical off the concert stage.
1: D- didn't you even have a sponsor's wife uh, who uh, made suggestions, who contributed to your program? That's
2: true. In the early days, on our first program, the Leonard program, we had uh, the sponsor's wife like organ music, and right in the middle of our comedy program, uh, every week we had to have an organ solo. And then when the woman found out that the organ was not in the studio, that it was two miles away from the studio and was piped in, this e-tron- e-tron- electronic a marvel astounded her, and she thought that the people should be let in on that, so we had to announce that the organ is not in the studio. It's two miles away.
3: Oh, and no. And if you didn't
2: believe it, you could go walk it. <laughs> as far as we were concerned, and it was uphill, too.
1: How did you get your first sponsor on radio, Fred Allen?
2: Uh, well, I was in the shows. I was in the show with the last show with Clifton Webb and Libby Holman, freeze a Crowd, and... Um, I was going to do a show in the fall, and something happened to it. And at that time, radio was coming along, and fellas were getting in it. Uh, Ed Sullivan was in it, and uh, Jack Benny and Eddie Cantor and Ed Wynn, they were just starting in it. And uh, so it was interesting, and we we started to uh, audition. We we auditioned for Old Gold at one time with Kate Smith, the Howard Brothers, and Omen and Arman, the the, uh, the piano team, Harden. Oman and Arden, I guess. Uh, Arden, it was. yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were turned down. Why? Well, the sponsor didn't like it. Uh, I was in it. Kate Smith was in it. Willie and Jean Howard in it. And Oman and Arden were in it. And the whole show was—they didn't want any part of it. So everybody went out. Kate went out by herself and did well. And Willie—poor Willie's gone now, but he—he worked until the end. And Oman and Arden functioned, and I've survived some way without the company. I waited. I worked for them last year, incidentally. And We're again, they let me watches. go. <laughs> Wait
1: a minute. Old gold. Old, Old gold,
2: yeah. You it's know, a Port- filter. They have a filter on the building. You can see it. It's down there. In you know, <laughs> Port-
0: filter. They have Portland a... is listening under the dryer. Oh,
2: is she really? Yes,
0: I just call Robert. Oh, I hope
2: that you talk. Is it Robert or Robert? I gave him the best of it. I call him
0: Robert. <laughs> well, well, the little apparatus is Robert. Robert.
2: And you. Oh, good. I hope this uh, wave uh, takes this town It's permanent. At least, at least till she gets home. I think the other one broke, uh, <laughs> came, came apart on 6th Avenue there, a block away from the place.
1: Fred Allen, did you ever um, try to get a personal friend of yours to sponsor a program?
2: Uh, no, I used to mm-hmm. joke about a fellow up in Boston who had a little variety store up there, Hodge White, and we mentioned his name for the fun of it to show him uh, what sort of uh, publicity he could get in the new medium. And uh, it worked out very well. He didn't, he didn't pay for anything. We just used to mention him every week.
1: And what kind of reaction did he get?
2: Well, it made a lot of trouble for him. People came all from around the country and out to New England to look at his store and to get his autograph and, inter- and disturb him at his work. And uh, he, he saw the power of the medium and didn't want any part of it.
1: <laughs> and he would keep you tuned, of course, while,
2: while you uh, oh, were on yes, there. So he, uh, at that time, we had the show called Town Hall Tonight. And he used to have our program on every night from uh, 9 to 10, it was. Was it uh, every night? No, every uh, every week. Yes. And uh, he had some problems in there because his his meat slicer used to put static in his uh, radio, so you couldn't buy any meat there from 9 to 10.
1: You made him famous, though, over New England. Uh, In a
2: small way, yes. This same got out of the out of town, <laughs> into another uh, county, I believe.
1: Fred Allen, are there any types of products that you wouldn't accept to sponsors, and if so, why?
2: Uh, no, I don't know. We were on for laxative, and we, we were on for cigarettes. We've been on for a number of things. No, I don't. I, if, if, if it's within the law, I don't see why I should be concerned. People are in a legitimate business, and they want to sponsor me, or they can legally advertised. I don't see why I should be the one to say I don't want to be associated with it.
1: Isn't it funny? I I turned down. Do you remember this text being on the panel of What's My Line? Whenever it went on, what was it, five years ago or so?
2: I guess so. It's been on, I guess, four or five years.
1: Because it was sponsored by a deodorant. And I'd always, as a model, I'd always turned down posing in lingerie and posing for deodorant. And so when I was asked to be on the panel, they said, would you be interested? You know, we have a spot open. We'd like you to be be on. We're testing this show, and it has this sponsor. And I said, I couldn't. Now, five years later, it seems the most natural thing in the world, you know.
2: Well, it's through general acceptance, I think, you find that. Things change as you progress. Not always for the better, but they (laughs) change. Life is constant adjustment to change. I mean, nothing stays as it is.
1: And I'm sorry about that.
2: It is uh, unfortunate that you can't just pick a time in your life where things are going well and the children are at a certain age and you just stop there and just live eternally, but you can't do that.
1: What time it's, of your life, if you could do that, would you want to... Uh,
2: well, I've been so busy, good. I've never give it, given it any thought. But it's, just, it's a waste of time anyway. You can't accomplish it, so why waste your time thinking about something you can't do?
1: Well, I and would think possible. you would have picked the time when... Sunday nights, you had the the greatest radio program in the country. I also and
2: had the greatest aggravation and the greatest stress and the, and the bigger taxes at that time, too. So there's something on the other side. There's something to be said on the government side, too.
1: And did you worry all week about that Sunday night show? You had
2: to worry because you had to keep your rating. And when ratings became uh, exposed to the um, advertising people, why, then you had to uh, be conscious of that and also the sales of the product and the... Quality of your show and the competition and the opposition and things. There were many things to be concerned about.
0: Did you ever talk to anybody who got called on the telephone by I a radio I have uh, uh,
2: uh, people who've t- talked to uh, local stations, you know, who are having a survey in a city like New York. And when we worked for Benton and Bowles years ago, they used to take their own surveys for uh, product reactions, you know. And uh, then I've heard they uh, talked to people that have heard from them, but never from the national ones, the big ones.
1: Fred Allen, we must take a station break for just a moment, and then mm-hmm. we'll be back for another half hour with Fred Allen. Let's pause now briefly for station identification.
4: You're listening to Same Time, Same Station, the best of old-time radio. And I'm your host, Jerry Hendigus Now let's get back to Texan Jinx in Peacock Alley of the Waldorf.
1: Oh, what nice calls we've had since we've been on the air. Mrs. Siegler says... She rearranged her whole day just to hear this program, so please, underlined, quit worrying about the soap operas as competition. And good. Roberta Marks of Kansas City was on Fred Allen's program exactly one year ago today and won $1,000. Say hello to Mr. Allen.
2: And tell her there's no money available today. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not <laughs> even no, for I hope she saved you. it
2: for a rainy day because this is a rainy day here, and if she's here with $1,000, she's in very good condition.
1: Reva Silliman called up to say to ask what is fred allen's definition of wit and what man best lives up to it
2: oh that's a matter of opinion no one can make a choice you can only say what you like best
1: that's what she wants to know
2: uh well i don't know it depends in different fields there are certain fine men who are doing motion pictures there's james thurber who's writing in magazines or uh Jack Benny, I always enjoyed Groucho, Herb Schreiner, There are many people today. It's very difficult to, currently. I don't. I think the standards may be a little different than they were years ago. Because There's no
1: one man then that you think. Uh, is I wouldn't the say
2: I think uh, the wittiest.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: No, I would think from a writing standpoint that James Thurber probably writes is, is uh, the, the best satire, the, the best type of humor that. We have available at the present time. There are many other fellows who do it very well too. Mm -hmm. Frank Sullivan, that's in the magazine field. Bugs Bear has a type of humor that that, that's very funny. It's it's uh, it's all a matter of opinion. I don't think anyone can say because what what you like and someone, or you can get an argument in any facet of that discussion. I think.
1: What do you think is more important, the man who writes the witty material or the man who delivers it?
2: The man who... well, they're both very important because the man who, who writes it who can't deliver it and the man who delivers, delivers it has nothing to deliver unless the man writes it. They help each other. they One compliments the other.
1: Edith Bann called up to ask us to tell Fred Allen that we'll never forget him and that he has a greater listening audience than he'll ever realize.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. What are they listening to? Now I'm not on anything. <laughs>
0: I don't. <laughs> Maybe get
2: an answer to that.
0: <laughs> Mrs. Vickerson says a lot of people <laughs> love you on television, and especially enjoy the St. Patrick's Day show. What, what is that for that? Uh I Do you,
2: really don't know. We didn't have. Oh, we had a. Uh, I really don't know. We one one St. Patrick's Day one year we had a burlesque of Finnegan's Rainbow. It was quite funny, a musical. The the one thing that we did every year was the Christmas Santa Claus. You know, always Mm -hmm. retired from the scene because of the world making so much trouble. But I don't remember
0: any one specific St. Patrick's Day. Mm. You know, there's Uh, a a,
2: program that we did.
0: There's a show that that we've done every year for a long time, and now the network took it up last year. The show called Man of the Year, where where we we tried to time. I was on that last year. That's right. And, uh, did it. I, I, I wonder, we're looking for a candidate for the man of the year this year. Who would your candidate be, quite seriously, Fred? Uh, I really don't know. I, I uh,
2: The world is too much. I'm in trouble in my own little cycle here. I don't take the world in or comment on the world. I've had enough trouble doing I'm going to speak at the book and author lunch, and that's my present trouble getting a speech together for next Tuesday.
0: That's next Tuesday, the book and Arthur luncheon, well, responsible the Herald Tribune. Uh, yes, at the ASTOR. They have it every
2: few months, I guess. I don't yeah. know when they have it. Yeah. But Vice President Park, uh, Barclay has written the book, and Frank O'Connor, the Irish story writer,
0: and uh, I guess the three of us are supposed to talk there. You have really got trouble being on the same Why? program with Barclay. Why?
1: Gets a lot of laugh. laughs.
0: Well, I was uh, I spoke at the Bob Hope dinner with him, with the Beep, I think. I guess
2: that's the one, or Jack Benny. The fire day. Singer, Prime I remember
1: dinner. that, yes. Mm.
2: But if I'll he's I'll... telling the same jokes, I won't have any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell them ahead of him.
1: <laughs> In your book, Treadmill to Oblivion, mm-hmm. you say that radio is dying, that the giveaway programs forced people to give away their radios. That's In fact, right. you call giveaway quiz programs the buzzards of radio. That's true. How did you try to handle the situation when Stop the Music came on at the same time as your Sunday night show and um, took over?
2: Uh, Well, we were an old show. I mean, uh, Stop the Music can't take all the credit. The problem came when when Jack Benny and Amos and Andy and Edgar Bergen all went over to the other network, and our show was left alone. We stayed with NBC, and uh, we were sort of vulnerable because most of the audience up until... Uh, 8.30 went over to the other network or 8 o'clock I guess it was and we were a show that was 18 years old and consequently a new show which appealed to greed and uh, you know, supposedly the money was available for people actually it wasn't that's explained in the book too but uh, the coming of the quiz show showed that the interest in the uh, advertising uh, part of the business uh, the advertising money supports the the programs and uh, they were interested in the cheaper shows that would get the larger audiences for their advertising purposes. They had no interest in the development of talent or in the quality of the shows, and consequently, when the quiz shows were cheap, then they became very popular, not because they, the public wanted them or because they were exceptionally good. It was principally because they were cheaper. And uh, I could see that uh, nobody's going to. Uh, that's also explained in the book, too, that nobody... Uh, profited except the man who owned the quiz show. The network didn't profit it because they were advertising twenty products to, who were giving their products to the the people who owned the the quiz show to advertise for nothing. As far as the sponsor was concerned, they had no musicians on. They had nobody on there.
1: Did you start giving away things on um, Alan? Oh Valley? yes, we
2: we insured our audience. We tried to get Lloyd's of London to uh, uh, take our show and insure us. If you listen to if you're listening to us and the stop music called you up and you lost anything, we would pay you up to $5,000. But we had a British gentleman over here. We couldn't convince him what this deal was, and uh, we gave up with Lloyd's, and uh, we finally went to, uh, I think, the National Surety Corporation, and we uh, put a bond up with them, and they took the case. They took the insurance over for us.
1: It, uh, Fred Allen, your your troubles with radio executives... That's also executive.
2: in the book. and two or three people who tried to uh, bilk us, Mm-hmm. Indis- indirectly
1: didn't work out though. You didn't have to pay.
2: Uh, we didn't because legally we there, there was they had no uh, premise on which to base their claims, and then they couldn't. We found out later that it was impossible to beat us because if the uh, uh, in the first place stop the music used to call all of the people in the afternoon and and plant all their calls,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, to be available for night. It's the only way you could do it because you couldn't call people uh, uh, ad lib from the, the phone. Book, you've been calling all night with people out of the house, but uh, they had—I uh, uh, forget what I was going to say now. It's I have another question for you. I
1: have just a couple of more minutes before I have to leave for television. I want to oh, get really? see, and then text takes over, huh?
2: Yes, if your class yeah. polls, I hope it's, it holds better on television. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this, this, you might know, have an enormous a audience. This, today you might have a terrific audience on television.
1: Class with my dress, which popped at the beginning of the program. I think mm-hmm. I'll put another one on for television.
0: Good, I would.
1: Another dress, I mean.
2: Yes. A
0: coverall.
1: <laughs> your troubles with radio executives came to a head one day, one night, when your, when your Sunday night... Show was cut off the Well, many
2: executives didn't come to a head, and that was our problem there. (laughs) That was our great problem in those days. That's true. What
1: exactly happened? Can you tell us? We heard always about the vice president. Well, that's explained
2: in the book here, too. The, uh, on page uh, some page here. uh, uh, There's a script that explains the whole thing. It says, radio sure is funny, all except the comedy programs. Our program has been cut off so many times, the last page of the script is a band-aid. And then Portland says, what does NBC do with all of the time it saves cutting off the ends of your programs? And then I say, well, there is a big executive here at NBC. He's the vice president in charge of, "Uh uh-uh, you're running too long. And he sits in a little glass closet with his mother-of-pearl gong. And when your program runs over time, he thumps his gong with a marshmallow he has tied to the end of a xylophone stick... And bong, you are off the air. Then he marks down how much time he has saved. And then Portland says, well, what does he do with all this time? And then I say, he adds it all up, 10 seconds here, 20 seconds there. And when he has saved up enough seconds, minutes and hours to make two weeks, NBC lets the vice president use the two weeks of our time for his vacation. And Portland says he's living on borrowed time, and I say, and he's enjoying every minute of it. And that's why the man cut us off. He claimed that we were insulting the executives, and I claimed that it was impossible at that time for <laughs> the executives who were rampant, you know, on the network, it was impossible to insult them.
0: Didn't you pick Even picket... with
2: friends, you couldn't do. It. Didn't you picket NBC once? Picket them? Yeah. Uh, no, we we picketed. Uh, we we sent midges there because we claimed that they were unfair to the little man, and we had about 20 midges. Luckily, the. Uh, I think the circus was here. Olson and Johnson were in town. Somebody was a specialist in midges, and we borrowed about 20 midges to walk around NBC, <laughs> make a little trouble there.
1: But now, what was the real problem? They they would cut you off a little early at night, or you would run long?
2: And... Well, the problem was that it was impossible to judge the, the running time of a comedy show, because if your audience was exceptionally good, you might allow... We used to allow over five minutes and, and 30 minutes just for laughter. And some nights, if things were hilarious, or there were mistakes made, or ad libbing, or things like that, uh, we'd be long, and uh, then we'd be nipped off without any warning at all. Mm You know, because you had to get the final.
1: But didn't you think that was right to be nipped off? Uh, There was another Uh, program with probably another sponsor following, wasn't there? uh,
2: I I don't know. I I, of course
1: I agree with you completely. I mean, I hate to to because I'm a
2: guest. The guest is always wrong on your program. I know that. Right. No, but is always uh,
1: right. No, uh, I hate to be just, cut off. I get furious at what I am Well, especially on off.
2: a comedy show, because sometimes you spend all of the time, your, your premise is established and your plot and all that, and you come to the end and the end is gone. We were the first ones, as far as I ever know, to put the end of the show on the next week and start with the beginning of it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, dear. But
2: it just seemed that there was no <laughs> flexible uh, approach to the, to the problems of the medium, you see. It was more important to get off on time than it was to be good. That's what I mean. It's more important, you see. And that's why you ha- left radio. Uh, no, I, I left radio. Partly radio left me, and then I, and I got the idea, and I left radio. No, I was ill at the time, and I had to quit for a while. By the time I got better, radio had sort of gone over the hill.
1: I hope it hasn't now, because I love radio.
2: Well, radio! I'm
1: about this microphone instead of three cameras with,
2: with That's men, because it, it uh, I think you get the more better attention from the audience, because the audience has to join you and use a little imagination where in television you have no imagination at all including the people who are pushing the cameras around because they have uh, very little respect for the actor too i mean if you're going to or you can create an atmosphere or uh, establish a locale at a microphone Mm -hmm. but you can't do that in television unless somebody paints a scene or unless the camera is at a certain angle and
3: Mm-hmm. It seems
2: to me that uh, television is a triumph of machine over people.
1: Yesterday during the show, while we were on, camera number three was being repaired for about 15 minutes of the half hour. You know, it's slightly distracting That's because... Right. They
2: wouldn't take it away. They just make, leave it in front of you so you will make sure that it's being re, re, uh, <laughs> repaired. I mean, they wouldn't just take it around the corner so it wouldn't distract you. That's what I mean. These men are so intent. They're like the executives used to be. They're so intent on their machines and their wires and their pulleys and their red lights going on that they, they forget that you have to create an atmosphere that's going to come over uh, as a show.
1: It's very difficult to have. I, I
2: don't think any medium is good if it takes 30 people for you to say one line. <laughs> <laughs> and You'll They'll see it when you get up there at 2 o'clock. There'll be 30 people looking at you, and you're going to read some diaper service stuff that you've got. There. No,
1: now it's the true time, oh. and we'll be right back. Citru. You know, the manufacturers of Citru tissues are making it possible to get a complete, basic, five-piece place setting in National Silver Company's lovely Modern, Modern pattern, backed by their 15-year replacement guarantee.
0: Up till now, this offer wasn't possible.
1: Not at this price. Now you can get a dinner knife and fork, soup spoon, salad fork, and teaspoon for just $1, a fraction of their regular retail value.
0: What's the pattern like, Jinx?
1: Oh, it's really beautiful text with a simplicity of line that goes well with modern China but still won't clash with the more traditional patterns.
0: All you do is to go to your retail store, get a box of citru tissues.
1: The rose pastel box of soft, strong, celluloven woven citru tissues.
0: And then tear off the perforated panel on top of the box. Right. Put your name and address on the back and mail it along with $1 for each five-piece place setting to Citru Box 260, New York 16, New York.
1: You are. Absolutely right, Tex. And just be sure that everyone has the address. Uh, we'll repeat it in just a moment. Better get a pencil and write it down so that you won't forget it. Remember, for each lovely five-piece place setting of five silver plate, all it takes is a single dollar bill.
0: Plus the perforated panel from one box of sit tissue. Just mail the panel and the dollar for each set along with your name and address to Citru. that's S-I-T-R-U-E, box 260-260, New York 16, New York.
1: Before I leave for television, Fred Allen, I wonder if you and I can <laughs> do one part of a script from your book which explains um, uh, some of the, um, uh, what do you call it, the... Uh,
0: the feud between you and Jack Benny. Oh, yeah.
2: Sure. You mean you want to read Portland's part? Well, I don't... And Portland's listening. listening. There's some... Uh... Is
1: she really listening? Yeah.
2: Well, she's retired. She, she retired again. We were on omnibus a week or so, oh, three or four weeks ago. And she also retired from omnibus, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, give me an idea of how how I should sound. Well, it's just sort of,
2: I'm not going to, if she's listening, I'm not going to tell you how she talks. If you wouldn't hear her on the, uh, if your memory is gone and you can't remember how Fortland sounded, then you have to do it yourself. Well. You might invent a new approach to the character that she might profit from.
1: Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and I will do my best.
2: There's a lot of it going on in television and radio, too. Well, A lot of sincerity going on in that
1: Can you set the scene, Fred, for this
3: particular broadcast? Well, this is just part
2: of a routine that uh, I was preparing to have a fight with Jack Benny, and he had challenged me, and I had challenged him, and then we were fighting back and forth on the programs, and we have different routines. And this is a routine here that's also in the book where Portland and I were discussing something that uh, we had had in our programs.
3: Well, this I mean, you,
2: her, her first line here on page 60 uh, explains it.
1: Jack said on his program he saved your life in vaudeville.
2: Gee, well, you should be getting the, the, uh, <laughs> the wave in Portland should be here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how did that go again, Portland? (laughs) Jack said on his
1: program he saved your life in vaudeville.
2: Nobody saved my life in Portland, uh, in vaudeville, Portland. I died everywhere. The first time I met Benny was in Elyria, Ohio. He was doing a monologue with a pig on the stage. A pig? Yes, the pig was there to eat up the stuff the audience threw at Benny. (laughs) It was in his contract that he had to leave the stage the way he found it. Some weeks he had to use Two pigs.
1: What kind of an act was Jack doing then, Mr. Allen?
2: Well, I tell you, it was one of those acts. It wasn't safe to take a deep breath while Jack was on. He used to open the act throwing his violin on the stage. And then if nothing happened, Benny came on.
1: And Jack didn't save your life?
2: I saved his life, actually. I'll never forget it, Portland. Benny was out on the stage in his spangled tights playing the violin. His big number was Pony Boy. He just started to play Pony Boy when a man in the front row started to shoot.
1: A westerner?
2: No, a music lover. Well, I ran out on the stage in front of Jack. I thought the star running on might save his life. Well, in the excitement, Benny stole two bows and I was shot in the chest. They took me to the hospital.
1: Is that when Jack gave you the transfusion?
2: Yes, Portland. They took me to uh, they they told me in the hospital later. It was the first time at a transfusion the donor ever asked for a receipt for his blood.
1: Did the transfusion help you?
2: I had a relapse. Then as a result of the Benny transfusion, I had anemia for two years, and it affected me in other ways. I couldn't get my hand in my pocket for many months. I found myself window shopping at toupee stores. Oh, it was terrible, Portland.
1: That's the part from the book.
2: Uh, That's right. Well, that's just one of the little routines there.
1: And you mean that that was really a made-up feud? You didn't really dislike Jack oh, any no, so much? Oh, no, Jack
2: is a wonderful fellow. I don't think Jack is an enemy in the world, and I certainly wouldn't start a trend.
1: <laughs> I must go to television because I have a very That's beautiful That's what's wrong with guest. radio. You look. have
2: to go to television. Yeah, but look.
1: See that beautiful oh, girl? Oh, and I
2: think I'll follow you. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Portland's listening, isn't she? I'll be here with Ted.
1: She's an American girl from really? Pearl River, New York, whose name was Aline Griffith.
3: Huh? She went
1: to Spain with the OSS. Uh-huh. 10 years ago, Office of Strategic Services. Uh-huh. 10 years ago, and she married a Spanish count, Luis Quintanilla, who is sitting right out there, and I don't know if, they, if he knows she's here oh, really? and she knows he's there.
3: But she's we're headed for audience. television. Well, that's
2: good. Radio's old. Why don't you take the microphones with you? The whole industry's <laughs> headed for television.
3: <laughs> take the
0: studio with you.
3: No, I hate You're so to wrong. leave. You're
0: but, so uh, wrong. We've got a lot of people have called up. and
2: I know Clifton Fadiman
0: could... claims that. I was on
2: Conversation a few weeks ago and, and uh, Kip says that he has great faith in radio and that's... Uh, I time. think
0: television's bringing radio back.
2: Uh, eventually it will, I'm sure. Bye. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye poo. Bye, Pooh. Okay. Studio well, audiences, I
2: shall I explain? The studio audience is walking out and shows you that Jinx is the draw.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: the undertow of Jinx is causing the studio audience to leave this, the uh, studio here. Incidentally, on one of these cards I saw it says Texan Jink. Is, uh,
0: is, <laughs> is jinx plural? <laughs> that comes in spelled all sorts of ways. Oh. You know, uh, on, on this business of husbands and wives working together, you almost put all husbands and wives out of business with your takeoff on our racket with Tallulah. Oh, uh, well, we
2: were were satiring, satirizing all of the um, current things, and at that time that we did that show, the, the husband and wife... Uh, teams were very popular in radio, and consequently, it's like making fun of Liberace today. He's a, he's a big star and a big name in television, and consequently, people are acquainted with what he does, and it's easy to uh, satirize him or burlesque him.
0: But, you know, I, I, I wondered at the time why people didn't realize that, for instance, you work with your wife on the air, but sure. you never admit it. I mean, it's, it's, she's Portland, and well, you've well, got to wonder if she's secretary or ad. And Jack Benny worked with Mary Livingston. That's right. And well, it
2: depended on the voice. You, you had to create a character that went with the voice because people in radio didn't see the people with whom you were working. And uh, Portland's voice came out on the air through the mechanization, of the voice of a small girl. I mean, mm-hmm. And uh, consequently, we had to c- sort of invent a character to go along with it. And uh, Jack, uh, Jack and Mary were never identified as man and wife. She was uh, always a friend of his, and, and, uh, and she could do more sophisticated comedy because her voice is
0: more of a, a, sh- a smarter girl, or an older girl, that you, you might say. Now, when we first went on the air, uh, doing the husband and wife bit, hmm. it's hard to you, you say husband and wife because usually men run stations, and then they, that right. way you get the top billing. Yeah, but and coming uh, in
2: uh, that early in the morning, too. It looks funny if it's not husband and wife.
0: Yes. And uh, uh, also, Jim Gaines uh, was a friend of mine, more than of Jinx's, and he was the boss. But mm. it always turned up in the paper, Jinx and Tex, you see. Well, that's like Park and
2: Tilford. Now, you never hear Tilford's never mentioned first. <laughs> I think when the, when the name is established, people just automatically uh, say it. And actually, uh, the, the, the fellow who uh, named M- William and Mary was uh, sort of impolite, too, because it should have been Mary and William. That college down there. Brad,
0: we've got a call from a Mrs. Abby Sheehan. Wants to buy a book, I hope? Yes. She Good. says she is the leader in the Silk Stocking District and accuses you of being one of her voters. Do you know Mrs. Sheehan? Uh, She's a political leader, apparently.
2: No, we, we live on 58th Street in that section. Well, she says she's your leader, but... I don't think that's... I think that it's, uh, that's the... We're in the district that's the run in the silk stocking <laughs> district. I don't think that we're in the silk stocking district. Isn't that over in Park Avenue?
0: That's right.
2: Oh, this, this is an executive throw from there. Oh, okay.
0: But she says she's sick in bed, and oh. Mr. Allen is making her feel so much better. Well,
2: you you mentioned that the book would would probably get her out of it because <laughs> she, she'll have to throw go to the window to throw the book out. <laughs> this might be a, a great help to me. That
0: is she, and we're sending you a book. Thank you very much for calling up. We're going to take a break here for a commercial, and then I want you to get us off the air on time the way executives used to. We don't have a marshmallow on the end of a violin bow. No. But... Uh, John, will you give him a stopwatch and let him get braced? I
2: I wouldn't know, because we always... I I could never function the radio unless there was a man pointing a finger at me.
0: I want you to get set to point a finger at me. With stopwatch in hand. Give him the stopwatch. All right? right? I I don't know where to use it.
2: Get my glasses on, because I have so much aspic in my blood, I
0: have to keep my eyes on the glass. All right. Now, you get set while I try to do a commercial against the watch.
2: You push the button. How many... uh, How many...
0: Yeah, John oh, will tell
2: right. you. now. I'm off. Well, he's still pointing the finger at me. I, it's still radio as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> he's just giving me his finger from, so that I can point my finger at you. This he, is a two-fingered
0: show. <laughs> <laughs> he's giving me a finger now. Let me try this. You know, women have always wanted to have fine silverware, but a lot of ladies feel they just can't afford it. Makers of citrus tissue have an answer for that problem, a wonderful answer. Right now, the Citru people are making it possible for everybody to own truly wonderful silver plate at just a fraction of its regular retail cost. And a fraction is right. You get a complete basic five-piece place setting, including dinner knife and fork, soup spoon, salad fork, and teaspoon for only a dollar. Fred's holding up one finger. That's right. And the pattern is really handsome. National Silver Company's famous modern design. Backed by the 15-year replacement guarantee, a classically simple pattern that goes well with any china. And here's how the Citru people have made it easy for you to get a basic five-piece play setting for a single dollar. On the top of the box of Citru, you'll find a perforated panel. Just tear it off, write your name and address on the back, and mail it along with $1 for each five-piece play setting to Citru, box 260, New York, 16, New York. You're giving me a quarter seconds. Fifteen seconds. Fifteen seconds. seconds. But remember to get each complete basic 13. five-piece play setting. Just take the perforated panel from the top of the back and mail it along with a single dollar for each five-piece play setting to sit through S-I-T-R-U-E, Box 260, New York, 16, New York. One, you're off. There's the finger. You're off, Tex. Thank you, Fred Allen. Remember the name of the book, Treadmill to Oblivion. Goodbye from the Waldorf. For Mel Allen in the Army-Navy Games,
4: Saturday afternoon at one fifteen. Well, that'll just about wrap things up for today. Certainly hope you enjoyed the programs. If you'd like to contact us for more information on how to purchase the programs, give us a request for upcoming programs, or just any kind of comments you'd like whatsoever, you may do so by going to our website at otrsite.com or you may email us at jerry at otrsite.com or you may call area code 562 six nine six four three eight seven we'd certainly love to hear from you and this is Jerry Hendigus saying thanks a lot for listening take care of yourselves and we'll see you right here next week same time same station bye now